Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. schedule he is rod i am cameron and we're back to uh preview the osu game coming up here um tomorrow one o'clock um ohio state comes into this one 13 and four uh overall seven and four in the league 12th in ken palm uh but fifth in offense rod 71st on defense um so ohio state's kind of a little bit under the radar having a, a pretty good year yeah, that's exactly how I'd put it. And, you know, you look at after last night with Illinois handing Iowa their third loss. And, by the way, Ohio State has wins over, I believe, I believe it's Illinois and Wisconsin already. So if you look at, you know, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, these are teams that have already, you know, they're, they're not really outdistancing Ohio State. Right now, to be honest, when you look at the Big Ten standings, it's Michigan clear-cut out in front with a whole bunch of teams, Ohio State being one of them, that are kind of in the mix for um, for second, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and that's not a, not a total shock, but, I mean, we had Ohio State. I think we had Ohio State seventh, sixth or seventh in the preseason. I'd have to go back. and I think we had them sixth, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, behind Rutgers and fifth. So not a total shock. I mean, I, I thought they'd be competitive. I certainly thought they'd be an NCAA tournament team, but that offense is better than I think people expected it to be. And the defense probably is worse. So, you know, you add it all up, a competitive team again. You know, we, we had a discussion about this in the preseason that um, I wonder ultimately how much patience there will be in Columbus with Chris Holtman because let's be honest that's a job that multiple people have proven you can contend for national titles reach final fours at Randy Ayers did it (laughs) granted it wasn't it was with guys Gary Williams recruited but still Randy Ayers did it then Jim O'Brien did it and then you know Thad Mata is arguably right there with Fred Taylor is the best coach in program history. So to me, although I think a lot of people still think of Chris Holtman as, you know, this really great up and comer and, you know, a guy who could potentially be an elite coach kind of in that next wave 
of elite guys. Um, the fact remains, he hasn't had that breakthrough season that demonstrates, yes, he is a guy that can get Ohio State to the pinnacle or near the pinnacle, you know, winning Big Ten. His, his best season was his first one, mm-hmm. you know, where where he came very close to winning a share of a Big Ten title. And then the last couple of years have been decent, not embarrassment, certainly not anything to put anyone on a hot seat. You know, you compare him with Archie Miller, who was hired in the same cycle by Indiana, and it's far better than what Archie Miller's done. But um, I still I still wonder about that. You know, this is a good season thus far, and certainly they're in a position right now, you know, you mentioned they're 12th in Ken Palm overall, so that puts you into the discussion where you could realistically think about, hey, we could we could have a run mm-hmm. in March. And, it, and if he can do that, then I think he starts to solidify his thing. But for me right now, the jury is still out a little bit. Not as to whether he's a good coach or not. Clearly, he's a good coach. But can he be a great one? I don't know. Um, but it's been, yeah, thus far, I think you'd say a slight surprise to the upside mm-hmm. overall. Uh, so if you look at their offense, which is you know, fifth, we, as I mentioned, 77th in effective field goal percentage, um, only 34% from three, but 62% from two, uh, and 76% from the line. Yeah, and and it's, you know, the three-point shooting is down from last season um, where they were really good. But, you know, they're shooting twos well. They shoot free throws well. And not only do they shoot them well, they get to the line a lot. They don't have any – and the funny thing is you look at the roster, they don't have any one guy who's, you know, getting there for eight, nine attempts a game. I think Liddell, their big man, is the top guy, and he averages – right around five free throw attempts per game, which is decent, but it's not, you know, like a holy crap. It's not Garza, you know. Um, but they got a lot of guys who do that. Mm-hmm. So you pile it up, and you're like, wow, pretty soon you see a team that collectively is getting fouled a lot. So that's a real hidden strength for them because their shooting from the floor is okay. It's not bad, but it's not stellar. You know, the three-point shooting, as we said, is not great. They're number 62 in two-point percentage. That's solid, but it's not, you know, world-beating. But that free-throw percentage and the frequency they get there, that's what's really contributing um, to their offensive success. But, you know, the, the the secret really, I think, is that they're good to great at just about everything. Yeah. Turnover, turnover percentage is number 29, um, 72nd in offensive rebounding. So you, you total all those numbers up, and there's – there's nothing that leaps out at you as other than the free throw shooting, maybe as wow, this team really that's something they really excel in. But there's no weakness either. There's nothing you look at as a big negative. And we've seen it with so many Big Ten teams this season. We've talked about where you know you'll talk about a team like a Rutgers, for example, where wow, the three point shooting is great and they shoot decently from two as well, but the free throw shooting is horrendous. You know, Purdue, kind of an inconsistent profile. Ohio State doesn't have that problem. And that's why, despite the fact that there's no one thing they're really hanging their hats on, they're number five overall mm-hmm. because there are no weaknesses. Yeah, and um, so the defense isn't quite as good as it's been in the past. Um, 70, they're 71 on defense. Uh, 
but 106th in effective field goal percentage against, 163 against threes, and 83 against twos. And they don't block yeah. a ton of shots, 134. Yeah, and, and this is this is something worth noting because I just looked the three years prior that Holtman's been there. His first year, they were 15th in the country in defense, 23rd on offense. Okay. Year two, 25 on defense, 84 on offense. Last year, they were 13 on offense, buoyed by crazy three-point shooting, and 19 on defense. So they've been in the top 25 defensively every single year that he's been there. And now, all of a sudden, we've got, you know, quasi-Fran McCaffrey numbers mm-hmm. at, you know, at number 71. You know, for all the problems Michigan State has had this season, Michigan State's currently sitting at 49 on defense. So as a point of comparison, right? So you mentioned some of the problems. Here's what I think the pro- the main problem is. Ohio State under Chris Holtman is a defense, not exactly in terms of playing exactly the same scheme, but the overall idea is very similar to what MSU does in that they are not a team that's trying to hurry you up, force you into mistakes. They are predicated on playing solid positional defense, um, some pack line principles, uh, and and they want to force you into taking a shot you don't want to take. That's really the key, right? Mm-hmm. So it's positional defense, we'll say, rather than trying to trap you, oppress you, or you know, force mistakes. Um, the problem is. So the, the turnover numbers are where you'd expect. The number 322 in turnover percentage on defense. It means they're not forcing many turnovers. They don't generate steals. They're not even a, a great shot blocking team this year. They're only number 131 in block percentage. The problem is that the, their, their numbers, their field goal against averages are not great. Um, they're 105, I think you mentioned overall an effective field goal percentage against, but 81 against twos, which is not awesome that bad, but it's, you know, as a point of comparison, last year they were 17 in that category. Mm-hmm. The year before they struggled a bit, they were number 74. Um, and his first year they were 35. So this is kind of an outlier in 81. And they're, they're really doing poorly in terms of, um, defending against the three, the number 163. I, I shouldn't say poorly. That's middle of the pack. They're giving up 33% which is not horrible, but it's also not great. So you put all that together and, you know, they're not going to force you to make mistakes and teams are having decent success shooting the ball against them. So, and they're kind of middle of the pack in terms of how often they foul and how often they put teams on opposing teams on the line, I should say. Um, so, so that's really the, the long and the short of it is it's kind of the converse of the offense where you say the offense, there's no weakness, the defense, there's really no strength. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you look at and say, well, they might, they might not be great in these areas, but here's one thing they can hang their hat on. They don't really have that. And that's kind of weird to see from a Chris Holtman team, because again, his, not just his time at Ohio state, but his time before that at Butler and kind of the way he's come up at a coach, you associate him with really, really sound defensive teams. And so far, at least, this hasn't been one. Mm. All right, so uh, if we look at their starters, Dwayne Washington, 6'4", junior, averaging 14.9 points a game, 37 from the floor, 37 from three, and 90 from the line. Uh, and he leads them in assists with 53 to 38 turnovers. 
yeah, a, a nice season. You know, he's. I, I would say it's maybe even a little better season than those numbers suggest, the, the average numbers, because he's playing a bigger role. You know, he's now bumped up to a spot where he and Liddell are the top two guys on the scouting report. You know, and so with that always comes more pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So he's um the fact that his shooting numbers are holding up, he's actually been playing a lot more point guard. You know, they've it's worth mentioning, they've in the month of January made a starting lineup switch. You know, CJ Walker, who's been the starter at the point really the last year and a half, is coming off the bench now. And so Dwayne Washington is um is nominally playing the point. He actually leads the team in assists overall. Um, and that's, I'm not, I've not ever been convinced that Dwayne is really a point guard. Um, you know, th- this was tossed around when he was being recruited by MSU and lots of other people when he was at Grand Rapids Christian is, oh, he's a combo guard. Eh, I, I, I'm not convinced of that. And, and honestly, his assist to TO ratio is not great. What makes Ohio State a good turnover team is that they don't have anybody who's really got a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, normally your big men have, you know, terrible ratios. You know, they, they don't have anybody who's got a big problem. Conversely, they don't have anyone who's great, including the guys playing the point. CJ Walker is not a lot better, to be honest. So I think with Dwayne, you know, 37% from three, that's mostly who he is, you know, um, but uh, a nice player having a nice season, and he's certainly become an important guy for them. Uh, and then Justin Arns, 6'5", junior, um, who's recently been put into the starting lineup, 6.9 points a game in about 18 minutes, uh, but 51 from the floor, 51 from three, yeah. and 80 from the line. Yeah, if if you remember back, it was his freshman season. He had a game, and I can't remember who he was playing against. He had a game where he, he hadn't been playing much, and he kind of came out of nowhere and busted like 28 points on somebody. Yeah. And it was all from three. Um, and that kind of showed the potential. But And we said this in the season preview. It was, you know, Ohio State had a lot of guys, and as we go through this, you'll see what I'm talking about because they still have a lot of guys who kind of fit in in that 6'5 to 6'6 range and and could play either wing, could maybe play small ball four, some of them, um, you know, all, all that kind of thing. And for Justin, I thought, well, the key, they know he can shoot, so there's almost certainly a role for him in that every team needs some shooting. But you had to wonder, does he do enough other things well enough to justify getting larger minutes than some of these other guys. That was the question. Mm -hmm. And I think what's ended up happening is they've decided that the shooting kind of outweighs everything else because I'm I'm not certain that he's really, you know, doing those other things markedly better. I don't, I don't mean that he's a bad defensive player, um, but he's not he's not as good a defensive player as, as Kyle was at Michigan State, in part because he's not as strong. I don't think he's quite as athletic. Um, on the flip side, 51% from three is 51% from three. Mm-hmm. And that's a really healthy number. And 
I mean, here's the thing. This will tell you all you need to know about what to expect from Kyle Lawrence. He has 75 attempts from the field on the year. 73 of them have been from outside the arc. He's one for two on two-point shots, and then he's slightly above 50% on his threes. And so it's it's kind of all or nothing. That's what he is. And do you think that the, the lineup switch – is primarily driven by by Arns' shooting. You know who can tell those are those are really um, I think on the one hand I think people get overly I know people get overly caught up in this stuff. Um, you know, there's been a big debate all season long, but most markedly in the last couple of days since the Rutgers game with some Michigan State fans around the idea of Thomas Kethier starting. And in that game, you could say that that combination of players did not work well because MSU got off to terrible starts in both halves. In the first half, they recovered from it. In the second half, they couldn't. Um, over the course of the season, I don't think there's any evidence for it. And, and look, the bottom line is that every, you know, it's one thing analytics should have taught people. It's just like in baseball. They said, look, the idea is, you only get 27 outs. And so they all count the same. And this is a thing that get, you know, they, they, they'll have these debates over, does a closer really matter? Or maybe you want to have your best reliever in more high leverage situations. If you've got a close game in a dangerous situation with guys on base against you in the seventh inning mm-hmm. or the eighth inning, maybe you should be deploying that guy then as opposed to keeping guys in strict, rigid roles the way Baseball has largely been played for the last, you know, 30 years or so, 30, 40 years. Um, and those are good arguments. And the same thing applies to basketball in terms of minute distribution. What matters is how many minutes a guy is playing, really. Because whether Thomas Kithier is playing minutes 1 through 5 of a game or minutes 8 through 13, in, in the bigger picture, over the course of a season, it doesn't matter. Five minutes is five minutes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the answer is. It's it's probably something subtle that, you know, maybe Holtman felt he wanted his team to get off to better. You know, they're not shooting the ball fantastically well from three. Arns is really it in terms of, you know, and Washington to some extent is shooting well, you know, 37%. But they, they don't have what they had a year ago where it was a lot of different guys really filling it up. So it may simply be that, and Arns is playing a little bit more too. It's not just a nominal starting thing. Yeah. He's playing more than he was. CJ Walker, conversely, is playing a little less. So it, it has been a change. Uh, you have to, you have to assume it's that whatever reason, um, Holtman felt like he needed more shooting production in there. And that's mm-hmm. why we're seeing it. But hey, when, when you're a specialist and you got one job to do, you need to do it really well, and Justin Arns is doing it really well. Yeah, these last uh, six games, you look at his three-point percentage, but four for five, three for five, three for nine, three for five, three for six. Yep, so that's it. worked. And it's and, and you listen to those numbers, they're not just good percentages. They're, he's getting attempts, mm-hmm. you know. He's, he's getting shots up. So it's going to be something, you know, Michigan State overall, I don't think this is a team you – you necessarily think about loading up on on the perimeter defensively the same way maybe some other they have against some other teams, um, but against him, yeah, mm-hmm. you know I I would think 
Um, it's interesting. Physically, they probably need Aaron Henry to deal with suing, but I could see them maybe giving Aaron some time on Arns as well. Uh, so then suing 6'6", junior transfer from Cal, uh, averaged 10.5 points a game, 5.3 rebounds, 49 from the uh, floor, 26 from 374 from the line. Um, but you he's know, been the uh, he was kind of the question a big question mark coming into this one. Well, I, I I honestly and I don't mean to bag on him; those are decent numbers. But I kind of expected a little more. Um, I thought he had a chance to be their top offensive threat, and really, he's kind of settled into being the third guy um, behind Washington and Liddell. Um, He's a versatile player. I think they've been disappointed with his jump shooting. 26% from three is not what they had in mind. Mm-hmm. I think they thought he would be better than that. And that's probably got a lot to do with why the production is slightly muted from where expectations were. Uh, but he gets to the line a decent amount. And he shoots well when he gets there. You know, nice kind of versatile guy. Can play some small ball four for sure um, if they need him to. I don't think they really need him to this year so much. But he's got that capability. So, you know, tough cover. Not a bad player by any means and having a decent, solid season, but maybe not quite the year I expected. I, mm-hmm. I thought he was a guy who really had a chance to be kind of a breakout player, and instead he's been a good, solid role guy. And he started off kind of on a tear at the beginning of the season. Exactly. Since Big Ten play, you look at the production's really kind of fallen off the yep. cliff. Um, yep. And it shouldn't be, that you know, for people, again, I think you mentioned it, he transferred in from Cal. So this isn't a transfer up guy. This is a guy who played very well at the Pac-12 level. You would think that it translates. And I, and I think it does. I just think for whatever reason he's been going through a period where he hasn't been playing as well. Mm. Uh, and then Kyle Young, 6'8", senior, averaging 8.1 points a game, 5.9 rebounds, uh, 55 from the floor, 29 from 378 from the line. Yeah, I mean, you, by this point, you know what Kyle Young is. He's a motor guy, right? Good body, you know, 6'8 with some strength, um, especially in this era. That that gets it done on the inside. He's big enough. Um, you know, does a decent job shooting from the floor, tends to play within himself. When he gets fouled, he's good at the line. Uh, I've said this about him probably two or three different times over the years. He was a guy who was a Michigan State recruiting target. He was in that class that MSU eventually got. Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman as their as their two big man recruits. So you you can't question that, right? Mm-hmm. MSU MSU did well, uh, but Kyle Young was a guy who had an offer, and he before either of MSU's guys committed, he committed to Butler, and then he ended up following Holtman when he got the Ohio State job. Um, Young was ranked where he was, not as high as Jaron, but um, higher than Xavier Tillman. Um, and he was like, I want to say he was definitely a top 75 guy, might have been borderline top 50. The reason he was ranked there is that people had this notion that he was offensively going to be a stretch four. And that's never quite come into focus. I think, I didn't look at his career stats, but he's at 29% from three this year. That might be a career high, which is not great. <laughs> but Yeah, it is. Um, we, he was in the yeah. teens the, the last two years. Right. So it is a little better, but he doesn't take a ton of them. And it's it's definitely, you can't fairly label him a stretch for. That's the limitation. And that's okay. I mean, he he's a guy who matters to them. He's an intangibles guy. You know, a, a hustle guy, he's going to knock bodies around. He's going to deflect balls. 
He's going to work. He's going to get you some cheap buckets on putbacks or, you know, in transition maybe occasionally or, you know, he, he does those kind of things and he's physically tough. Um, but he, the difference between being a good role player and being something more than that for him, I think is that the jumper has never quite come around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then EJ Liddell, 6'8", sophomore, averaging um, a team high in points and rebounds, 15 points a game, 6.8 rebounds, 52 from the floor, 27 from three, seventy-five from the line, uh, and leads them in blocks, just over one yeah. game. Yeah, not a great shot blocker, but, you know, I, I said 6'8". Liddell's really about 6'6", but he's got great wingspan, so he plays up as a five-man. He's their breakout player. And it's, it shouldn't be a total shock. I mean, I, I said this, I think I said this in our preview. You know, I saw enough from him last year that I thought, okay, he's not going to be the three-point shooter that Caleb Wesson was. And he's not. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's not quite as good a player in the low post as Caleb Wesson is, but he's got a chance to be close. I think that's been borne out. But I thought Ohio State had a chance to actually be better overall with him as the starting five man because, you know, getting those minutes because um, I thought he'd improve them defensively. Well, that hasn't happened as a team, but I do think Bedell is having a better season overall than Caleb Wesson had. He was also uh, out for a little while. So he's come back and played very well. Their last game against Penn State, he had a huge game. And he was leading them in scoring and rebounding. I mean, what else is there to say? Mm-hmm. That's a guy, and blocks. That's a guy who's doing everything for you. Uh, I like him. I mean, to me, EJ Liddell, it was obvious last season when he played, you could see that this was coming, that he was going to be a guy who ended up being a very, very productive Big Ten player for them. Um, and that's bearing out this season. He's moved from a guy with a lot of potential to, you know, not a first team all Big Ten guy in, in the league the way it is this year, but a guy who's an all Big Ten player of some stripe and probably a star in the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so coming off the bench now, they got 6'1 uh, senior CJ Walker, um, who, although he's coming off the bench, he's still getting 30 minutes a game. Um, but that's declined a little bit of late. Uh, yeah, I think he played 22 and, in their last game. Uh, eight and a half points, 31 from the floor, only 21 from three, and 98 from the line. Well, those 31-21 numbers are probably telling you the story as to why his minutes are declining uh, a little bit, his role. You know, again, not off, not off a cliff. He's still going to play a lot, but I, I think it has to be the case that Chris Holtman looked at it and says, I said, I need, and it may be that he feels that this year with this team, the key for him is to maximize his good offense, mm-hmm. figuring that maybe he just doesn't believe they have the potential to be a lot better defensively. I'd kind of be surprised by that, but then you look at, you look at this move and it kind of adds up that way. So, um, yeah, I mean, Walker's still a valuable guy for him because he's, he's a, he's a true point guard. He can create for people. He's actually been pretty good over his career defensively. Um, he's just having a terrible time shooting the ball mm-hmm. this year. So that's been a limiter. Uh, and then Zed Key, 6'9", freshman, uh, 13 minutes a game, 6.7 points, 3.6 rebounds, uh, 64% from the floor, and 62 at the line. 
I, I like him. And again, he's another guy like Liddell. I may have overstated his actual size by an inch or two, but he's another guy with great wingspan. He plays bigger than his listed height. Uh, I like him. You know, I think he and Liddell make for a really good one-two punch, despite the fact that neither of them is a traditional big from a size perspective. Um, to me, when I've seen him play, he looks like he's got a nice developing post game, rebounds well. Um, you know, all those elements are there for him to be a productive player. And, and when it's in a backup role, even better, because you're, you're going to only ask, what's he playing, 13 minutes a game this season? Mm-hmm. So you're only asking 13, 14, 15 minutes of him a night. That's, that's a pretty good one-two punch. Uh, and then Seth Towns, six six senior transfer from Harvard. Um, he's had some injury problems, um, but has played in 11 games. 4.9 points a game, two rebounds, 50% from the floor, 38% from three, and 89% from the line. Yeah, 10 minutes a game. He, he's come back to play 11 games this year. The thing about Seth Towns, you got to, well, there's a few things to remember. I know we talked about this in our season preview. I thought he was potentially the X factor for this team because we're talking about a guy who was Ivy League Player of the Year at Harvard and then missed two straight seasons. And and as it turns out, he missed like the first third, let's say, of this season as well, recovering from injuries. Um, this is not a typical transfer-up deal, though. Seth Towns was a top 100 recruit Michigan offered, Ohio State offered. He's a hometown kid. He opted to go to Harvard, got his degree, and then transferred. Um, after again, after the injury problems, uh, you know, you look at his numbers and the averages are pretty good. You know, 50, 38, 89, there's not much to complain about. Um, he's only playing 10 minutes a night. So two rebounds, 4.9 points. That's okay. It's just been limited because he hasn't played a lot. And, and that's the thing. When I said I thought he could be an X factor, the, the big question mark there was, well, how how is he going to come off this kind of layoff? Kind of the same questions that Michigan State had around Joshua Langford, right? Mm. How is he going to play? Except worse, because Seth missed more time than Josh and then wasn't ready to go at the start of this season either. Um, but he finally seems to be at a point where they're regularly playing him, and uh, and that's good. And if he can continue to get more comfortable, continue to improve his conditioning, all of that, he could be a real positive for this team um, as they get into the, you know, back half of the Big Ten schedule. So I, I, um, I absolutely do not rule out that he could be a bigger part of things going forward. Uh, and then Musa Jallo, six six junior, three point seven points a game, two point four rebounds, uh, forty four. Per- percent from the floor six percent from 358 from the line in about 15 minutes yeah he's he started to see his minutes decline a bit and and i think it may be an either or with he and seth towns he's another guy who's had injury problems you know and, and this season he's just struggling shooting the ball you know he's got a good body at six six can play small ball four can play the wing he's athletic got a little bit of strength he can do some things but that that, that jump shooting is just a problem uh, and then Eugene Brown, the 6'4 freshman, um, just under two points a game, uh, just under two rebounds, eight minutes, 34 from the floor, 23 from three, and 50 from the line. Yeah, not not huge production, but he's a guy they like, and he's played in every game. So he's somebody that they're, they're consistently getting a, a turn in each half. 
And I think they like his overall um, makeup as a guy they think can be a good shooter, good defensive player, has some athleticism to him, but he's young, wasn't a, a world-beating recruit from a rankings perspective. So, you know, it's a developmental thing, but he is playing regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Michi Johnson, a six-one freshman um, who started after reclassifying up in January. Um He's averaging eight minutes a game, uh, 1.8 points per game, 45 and 50 shooting, um, missed a couple from the line. Well, this is interesting, but, but Sotos went down, um, yep. who they had thought coming in from Bucknell might play a, a role. Uh, and yeah. Walker was down for four games in January. So right. an opportunity opens up. Yep, and he was by reclassifying. He, I think the way it's it's set up is that there's a decent chance he's going to be, you know, playing a limited role but a consistent role going forward because that's what we've seen is Ohio State's been playing well lately. Um, you know, a guy with potential. He's from the Cleveland area. Um, they like him, and he's so he's a young freshman. Um, but you know, a limited role this season, bigger role down the line. Um, but they're glad to have had him come aboard because it saved them. You know, it's given them another option to use at that spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is I don't can't recall seeing a situation like this before, where somebody just comes in, reclass. I mean, was he was just going to high school and then they decided, oh, yeah, they made that just- decision. They made that decision, I believe, in the fall, if I remember correctly. I can't okay. can't recall exactly. When it happened, but I think it was the fall, and they decided um, they decided that he was gonna um, he was gonna come on board um, and and join the team at the winter break. It ended up being um, being a big positive for them. And you're right; normally these situations and we've seen this more commonly the last few years. But when we've seen it, it's typically been scenarios where a guy comes on board. This is, was a Joey Hauser situation. He did this. Uh-huh. He, he graduates early, but he's not playing. He's redshirting, and they get there either because they might have um, superior uh, facilities to rehab with, uh-huh. yeah. or, or sometimes they will join and just practice, mm-hmm. take a redshirt, you know? So... That's what we've that's what we've been seeing lately, um, but uh, but in any event, um, Michi Johnson, yeah, he's on board, and Ohio <laughs> State is actually playing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so the uh, the five keys, Rod, offensive execution. Um, boy, Michigan State now is is ranked dead last in the Big Ten on offense. Yeah, well, no, no surprise. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mentioned this on the Spartan Mag board the other day. Part of, well, not part of, maybe to me the single biggest problem Michigan State has had this year is that its issues are a moving target. Because not so long ago, we were talking about a team that you looked at and said, okay, it's not the greatest offensive team Michigan State's had, but they're functioning pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, I even when they, when they made the move with Rocket Watts to take him off the ball, and I'm pretty sure we talked about it. 
you know, we, we wondered, well, what, you know, what is it going to be? What are they going to do? And it ended up being A.J. Hogarth moving in the starting lineup. And I, I believe I said, I know I felt at the time, I'm not sure that I believe there's a problem. Now, if the kid, as has been reported, want, doesn't want to play point guard, which apparently was the case, okay, that's that's something you got to think about, right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of the team's performance, I don't know how anyone could make a case that Michigan State's offense has gotten better since they've done that. It got worse. Yeah. You could argue markedly worse. Um, and I think there's good reasons why that might be the case. But regardless, that's what's done is done. The, the problem is, as I say, it's a moving target with where the issues are because at certain points this season, the defense has been absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. And and yet, I think as we've noted, definitely for the first Rutgers game, the Purdue game, and then even to some extent this game on Thursday night against Rutgers, the defense was not really the fundamental problem. I didn't think MSU was anything special defensively against Rutgers on Thursday, but they weren't. That wasn't the god awful defensive effort we had seen in games against Minnesota or Northwestern, right? Yeah, there was improvement. So. They seem to have, for the moment at least, maybe found some solutions defensively, but now the offense is a problem. And then, the, and, and now I think you can point to the rebounding and say they're not really rebounding particularly well. You know? So, there's a, after they were good against Rutgers, they got their asses kicked against Purdue, and they got their asses kicked against Rutgers the second time. So, right now the offense is in the crosshairs. And... The fact is, it was the bigger problem, certainly, against Rutgers, which surprised me. I thought it would be the defense coming off the layoff. Mm-hmm. I really did, and, and it wasn't the case. It was uh, it was flat out wrong. It, the offense was horrible. The single biggest problem, in my mind, offensively, you can point to the shooting percentages, but you have to look at what contributed to that. And I and I know we talked about this in the post game. MSU spacing, their man movement. Their ball movement, their passing in general was all terrible. Even when they were completing passes, it was passes at guys' feet or they had to, they had to stretch up. You were never hitting a guy in a shooting pocket. There were several times, I recall, just anecdotally, mm-hmm. where if MSU had made a clean pass hitting a guy in a shooting pocket, there was an open shot. And instead, because the pass was off target, that open shot was not there because the guy had to reach down or reach up or to the side. And by the time he gets in shooting position, a defender's had a chance to recover. You know, how many clean passes did Michigan State complete in that Rutgers game? Not very many. Mm. And and I'll give Rutgers some credit. I thought they were aggressive defensively, but a lot of that was MSU. So MSU has to execute better. And, And yes, they need to shoot better, but you need to look at what leads or can lead to shooting issues. And I think in that game, you make a pretty good case that Michigan State's total execution of their offense, meaning the way they were running it, was lacking. We've also, I keep banging this drum, I'm going to keep doing it until we see a difference. Um, establishing a post game would be a hell of a nice thing to see. And this is an opponent against which I think you should be able to do that. You know, Ohio State... Not, you know, Liddell and Key play bigger than they're listed, but even those guys, this is not a big shot blocking team. So to me, this is, you know, they don't have a Miles Johnson in the middle. 
they don't have Purdue's big men. They don't they don't have those elements. So you should be able, in theory, to get some things done. I want to see if Michigan State actually goes to that. Mm-hmm. If we see Joey Hauser doing a little less drifting and a little more posting, if we see them run some stuff for Aaron Henry, if they if we see Malik Malik Hall posting, that's what I want to see. And if they if MSU does that with some regularity, I guarantee you this whole thing's going to look different. I don't know why they're not they're not going to it. I really don't. I don't have a good answer for it. You know, the last couple of years, especially last year, you could see the argument for not being a post-up heavy team because they had Xavier Tillman and Cassius Winston who were so good running the pick and roll. So you're going to just run a steady diet of that, right? And mm-hmm. posting up was not X's strength. That's fine. Got no beef with that because MSU still generated interior offense that way. They don't have that right now. You know, you, I think you mentioned it the other, when we did the post game that, you know, you see guys like Bingham coming out and setting picks, you know, playing pick and roll. Well, he's not a threat as a roll guy or as a pop guy. And the guys you've got running that play don't look like they're really effective pick and roll guards either. Let's remember MSU had Cassius fucking Winston, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, that's a guy who is a threat. They don't have that at the point. So why go to it? You know, why not just try and go back to some version of steady post-up play and see if that can generate some easy baskets for you and then in turn hopefully free up some shooting op- some jump shooting opportunities mm-hmm. as teams have to respect it more. And again, I, I would I wouldn't be banning on it if I if I didn't think MSU had some answers. Last year's MSU roster, okay. Wasn't Xavier Tillman's strength? You wouldn't want to play that way with him because you're not getting the best out of him that way. Uh, Malik calls a freshman. Aaron Henry, they would run it on occasion, but I understood completely why when last season's team it made sense. This year, it doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. and I think they've got guys who could do this. I really do. Now, uh, you know, having said that, you know, and at least get fouled. Or, you know, they're really well, far down on the on the list for 254 and. Free throw yeah. attempts, you know, and and they're and that's not unusual. Michigan State is never a big free throw shooting team under Isso. They never have been because it's an offense that ends up shooting a lot of jumpers. Yeah, um, even when they've had post up heavy stuff, they, they they've never been a team, and 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 because they're not a dribble drive offense, they've never been a team that an offense that emphasized that. So that's not a shock. But you're right, easy points, either easy points at the line. Or easy makes around the rim, you know, makeable shots. That's something this team needs. They gotta have it as an option, at least. Mm-hmm. If the jumpers aren't falling, you gotta have another card to play. And and I believe that's a card that is in their deck. They're just refusing to play it. And and on the rare occasions we see it, like I'll go back to the Rutgers game, the one play where Joey Hauser got a post up and it was clean and pretty and he sunk it. And the only thing I can think to myself is, why am I not seeing that five times a night? Yeah. Minimum. Why? Yeah. You I know? Agree. Even so, when Bingham got down there, it, it felt right. finally and, good. But, but like, well, Marky, uh, yes, and he, that first basket of the game was going to post up. But, you know, I, I'm, I don't count Marcus as a reliable guy there because physically he's not strong enough to consistently carve out position. 
Mm-hmm. He can hit like a, a jump hook. He's capable of doing that. I wouldn't be looking to run a steady diet of post entries to Marcus Baino. But the three guys I mentioned, I absolutely would. Mm-hmm. You know, and they should be doing that. So however you want to slice it, offensive execution, big factor in this game. Uh, and then turnovers. Yeah. Well, compounding or as big part of the offensive execution struggles were a season high in turnovers. Well, they have 19, I think, mm-hmm. which was the season high. Uh, we know Ohio State generally values the ball pretty well. You can't have a huge gap there. If it's a three or four turnover gap, fine. You may be able to overcome that. If it's 10, probably not. Uh, and then rebounding. Yeah. Uh, you know, statistically, MSU, Ohio State is decent as an offensive rebounding team, not good as a defensive rebounding team. Michigan State statistically checks in a little better, but this is not, this is not a good MSU rebounding team. And at some point, that's got to change. You know, this is a game where you look at the numbers and you say, and you look at the statistics and you look at Ohio State physically. And you say Michigan State should be able to do some things on the offensive boards. Mm-hmm. They should be able to get some second-chance buckets. Absolutely should. Will they? I don't know. Uh, and then threes. Yeah, and here I'm talking about Michigan State. I mean, Ohio, this is not a great three-point shooting team like Ohio State was last year. We talked about Justin Arns as a guy they got to play they got to pay close attention to, and Dwayne Washington as well. Those are the two guys who have shown they have a, an ability to really hurt you. Um, but I'm talking more the Michigan State end of things. I think in a game like this, you just they they got to get an offensive spark from somewhere, and three point shooting would be you know <laughs> would be welcome. And, and you got a lot of guys struggling. To me, it starts right now with Watts and Langford and Hauser. Because mm-hmm. Gabe Brown is not going to play in this game, I don't believe. Um, so they don't have him back. So it's really those three guys. You know, Foster can come in and contribute something. Um, you know, you may like in the other the game the other night, you may get Hogard tossing one in. But it's really them or Malik Hall. But it's really the three guys I mentioned. You know, Watts, Langford, Hauser. Those are your three guys that have got to step up and give you something. So I'm putting a lot on Joey Hauser, I recognize, because I want him in the post. I also need him hitting threes. <laughs> yeah. Those shouldn't be mutually exclusive, though. Yeah. You know, they should be able to find some shot opportunities for him from deep and yet also get him more consistent touches on the blocks. But one way or another, I think Michigan State's obviously got to get more production from three than they had in the last game. But But again, a lot of that gets back to what we were talking about in the first point which is overall offensive execution. How are you moving? I mean, MSU was bad in every conceivable way. They made horrible decisions when to dr- when to drive, when not, when to pass, when not. Um, they had lazy passes. They had re- pass recipients who were lazy, not meeting the ball hard. Um, balls were not thrown sharply. Passing wasn't sharp, as we talked about. It was off target. You weren't hitting guys in shooting pockets. Um it was it was bad in every guys weren't moving, spacing was terrible. All that's got to improve, and all of that would help in terms of getting better production from three, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. As would some post offense, by the way. Yeah, because the the thing that's interesting to me about the offense is they're still number one in the country in assists per field goals made. <laughs> 
and because well, they're swinging it around, you yeah, know, but, it, but but never goes in and out. And it's right, exactly. It it lives on the perimeter. It lives on the perimeter. And again, that's okay when you've got Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman, because as the clock runs down, they're going to be able to get into a pick and roll situation and then generate some movement inside that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And they did that with regularity and it was very effective, but that's not this team. And so to me, you've got to find another way to do it. And I think more conventional inside out play. I've seen it from Michigan state for years and years and years, you know, um, it's a staple of what they've done under Tom Izzo. And I understand that the game changes and times change, but with this roster, and, and the Big Ten has taught us this season, in college basketball, the pros are a different story. In college basketball, playing inside out with more traditional big men is still a very valid way to play effective offensive basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I keep raising this. It's hilarious to me to, to watch reactions from the U of M fan base to go to them for a second because all of a sudden they have a coach that believes in post offense and they have a very good post player in in the freshman Dickinson mm-hmm. and all of a sudden their fans who were right there with John Beeline for whatever however long he was there 15 years 14 13 whatever it was um, in saying the post play was a, a troglodyte version of the sport to now reveling in it well, what changed? You're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got a guy who can do it. You've got a coach who wants to coach it. And, and you see the value in it. What, what a big man who can score on the blocks and then kick the ball to open shooters, what kind of difference that can make for you offensively when you have that card to play. I'm not, I'm not opposed to innovation. Far from it. As I said, the, the last two years running, particularly last season, once Nick Ward was gone, Michigan State just didn't have a great, great post option. So, and whereas they did have arguably the best pick and roll combination in the in the game at that level, mm. so it made sense to go to that. You play to your. I'm all for playing to your strengths, but that's the thing. I don't think Michigan State's playing to its strengths right now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then the last key defense. Um, OSU's fifth in the country in offense. So right. So simple as that, right? You see that? That tells you. You got to find a way to slow them down. And again, as we, as we talked about, they're not fantastic in any one area except the free throw line. They get there with good frequency, and when they do get there, they're really good at converting. So, what you don't want to do is get into a situation where you're defending and fouling a lot. Mm-hmm. That's going to spell trouble. If Ohio State's shooting 25 free throws in this game, it's going to be tough. Um, so, that's a big key. All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts? This one's on tomorrow. One o'clock, One o'clock. CBS. Um, yeah, you know, they. Uh, right now, honestly, I don't, and I understand the fan base's preoccupation with it. That's what happens when you have a, what is it, a 23-year NCAA tournament streak um, going. But I'm, I'm not even at a point where I'm thinking much about that. I don't think he can be. I think I think what you have to focus on is day by day, game by game, are you seeing any signs of improvement? And 
And I think, you know, the Rutgers game, after some signs of improvement prior to that layoff, I think demonstrated clear-cut, you know, reversion to the lows of the season, you know, the Northwestern and the Minnesota game, where they were just so bad. Um, it, it, it got back to that. But at least this time you had one at least one game's worth of excuse in saying you're coming off a three-week layoff mm-hmm. where you could barely practice. Some guys couldn't even do individual workouts for part of that time. You know, all of that is coming together fine. You don't have a full coaching staff right now with Dane Fife out. Fine. Um, but what you want to see as a Michigan State fan is better play. It's as simple as that. I think that's the only the only metric, the only prism through which you can view this stuff right now is are they getting better? I'm not focused on are they going to be a tournament team or not because right now, what's the point? You know, what's the point in thinking that if they don't improve substantially, that's a pipe dream. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, anybody who says it's over is foolish because they they've still got a lot of games to play. And you can say, well, yeah, but the schedule is loaded because you got Iowa twice, Illinois once, you got Michigan twice, you know, you got a lot of games against teams that have played pretty well. I hear all that. All true. On the other hand, those are all opportunities for the kind of wins you, you need to have. Mm-hmm. And, and in Michigan State, at a Michigan State level program, you know, I don't think you view those games as, oh my God, what are we going to do? There, there are opportunities. You have to view it that way. So there's a lot of basketball left to play, but again, if we don't see steady and consistent improvement, it doesn't matter. You know, so that's, that's how I'm looking at it is not focusing on these bigger picture issues because we're, we're way past that. We're now down to, are they playing a better brand of basketball? It's a very simple, simplified way of viewing it, I think. Mm. Can they execute passes better? Are they therefore able to shoot better? Is their movement better? Are they getting more inside-outside play? Are they are they holding together, especially on the perimeter, defensively? Um, you know, all of all of the, are they rebounding better? All of those things are the things that I'm more focused on, rather than you know, wins and and rankings and all the rest of that. Okay, well, we'll see how this one shakes out tomorrow, and be back uh, after that one. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. 
They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.